We're continuing uh, today uh, in the topic on the topic of the Lord's Day, the uh, Christian Sabbath, which we began uh, in our men's conference on Friday evening and on Saturday, and we come to the third message in that series this morning. I will not be able to give a lot of overview. I'll save more of that for the morning worship, but uh, just to say that as you see there in your notes in the introduction, we, we looked at God's institution for human blessing. We've looked at the instruction for covenant life found in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. We looked at God's instruction for covenant renewal in Isaiah 58 verses 13 to 14. Those are not headings we use during the conference, but those are headings that I'm used to try to summarize in my own mind, the things which we've already looked at. And we come this morning to, looking at, to look at the New Testament and this day to focus this morning uh, in this class and the morning hour uh, on instructions for new covenant life. What does the New Testament have to say about this thing called the Sabbath? Now, as we come to the class this morning, uh, there's, a, there's, there's an innate uh, reaction in many, if not all, of our hearts at different points. And it's the, it's the reaction of exceptions. We always want to find the exceptions. Here's the rule. What's the exception? Uh, my wife uh, knows that I would do this frequently when they were teaching, when she was trying to homeschool our children. G, when followed by E, is soft. Except in get, I would say. And it's like, wait a minute, we're always looking for those exceptions. And so we want to find exceptions. Sometimes we want to find exceptions because we don't want to follow the rules. And we're looking for exceptions so we can get out of the rules. But other times on a more a holy approach, we want to find the, those exceptions as they're identified so we can identify what the rule is actually covering. Where does it actually have its direction and limits to better understand how we can better keep the rule, not how to get out from underneath the rule. Well, this morning in this class, the topic is basically those exceptions that people often identify. They're called exceptions. I wouldn't say they actually are. They're more of, uh, again, defining specifically what we're talking about. Uh, but it's the, those exceptions. What can we do on the Sabbath? What are some of the things that are identified in the scriptures that can be done, which uh, might at first be thought to it doesn't fit with the Sabbath. Well, what we'll do this morning then is we'll look at Jesus faithfully observing the Sabbath and Jesus fearlessly cleansing the Sabbath, uh, and then some applications at the end. So we're going to look at the life of Jesus. Jesus and the Sabbath is really the general topic uh, for this particular hour together. So first of all, Jesus ordinarily went into the synagogue on the Sabbath. This was his common practice. If you have your Bible, Mark chapter 1, verse 21. Mark chapter 1 and verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and Mark, using one of his favorite words, says, and immediately, and then there's a prepositional phrase, it tells us the time, on the Sabbath, and it tells us then what he did, he entered 
the synagogue and began to teach. He entered the synagogue. It was immediately. Euthus, this is what he did on a regular basis. Uh, Mark likes this word. He likes to keep uh, running the, the narrative in his uh, gospel, uh, moving it forward quickly. And But here he just says, this is what Jesus did. When he came to Capernaum, he immediately, on the Sabbath, found himself in the synagogue, engaged in synagogue worship. He wasted no time when he came into Galilee. He went immediately, because it was a Sabbath, or on the Sabbath, into the synagogue. In Luke chapter 4, we read this similarly. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 and verse 31. Of the Lord Jesus, when he came to Nazareth, his hometown. And he was, as was his custom, as was his ethos, as was his practice, as was his normal behavior, as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. And then in verse 31 of Luke 4, then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And so when he was there on the Sabbaths, he was in the synagogue. This is what Jesus did. It was his normal, regular routine. He found the place where God's people gathered, and he joined them for worship on the Sabbath. That was Jesus' ordinary, regular, customary, whatever word you want to use, practice. But then B, the second point, is Jesus customarily taught in the synagogue on the Sabbath. That is, when he went, because he was known as a rabbi, he was even called by some of his detractors, rabbi, he was a teacher, and so it was his a privilege or prerogative to go into a synagogue and actually engage in teaching. And he did that frequently as well. That's part of why he found himself in the synagogue. In Luke chapter 4, verses 43 and 44, uh, he was sent. He says, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities, for I was sent for this purpose. And then it says, where did he do that on a regular basis? And kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And then in chapter 6 of Luke, and it came about on another Sabbath that he entered the synagogue and was teaching. So he was teaching in the synagogues, one or the other of the synagogues, on the Sabbath day. This meant that he engaged in the reading of scriptures. One of the things that was done, Luke chapter 4, 16, highlights that. That he was, as was the custom, he was there in the synagogue and he stood to read the scriptures and then he sat down to teach. This is what Jesus did on a regular basis. Now, sometimes there was a favorable response, right? We've all heard that, that early on in his ministry, they received him gladly. Luke chapter 4, we read after he, there in the synagogue in Galilee, he began teaching in their synagogue and was praised by all. In chapter 4, verse 22, all were speaking well of him, even in Capernaum, while he was teaching. They were amazed, for his teaching came with authority. So this is the fact that Jesus was in the synagogue. And why was he there? Because that's the place where the scriptures were being opened. That's the place where the worship of Jehovah was taking place. And he wanted to, part to participate in that and was part of it. And many times was leading that in some particular role. But he didn't always, he wasn't always readily received when he went into the synagogue. Maybe you'll recall a couple, some of those circumstances, one in particular where there was a man there that uh, was uh, 
had a withered hand, and they wondered, is he going to heal on the Sabbath? And they were looking to accuse him. They weren't there to hear him because the great rabbi Jesus of Nazareth was there. They were there because their opponent, the person they didn't like, was going to show up, and they were hoping to catch him. That didn't stop him from going to the synagogue. He was customarily teaching or visiting in the synagogues on the Sabbath days. Now, my third point under this first heading is that Jesus sinlessly remembered the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, I, I say that because when we come to the scriptures, we, we recognize that the scriptures have uh, regulations, the Ten Commandments and others, that, that identify God's responsibilities for his people. And when you violated that, that was called sin, right? We all know that. But we read about Jesus over and over in the New Testament, the scriptures plainly and abundantly, frequently saying that Jesus was perfectly sinless. And we say, okay, yeah. So we think, okay, he never committed adultery. He never stole. He never lied. He never coveted. He never dishonored his parents. He had no other gods than the one true God. He never uh, worshiped idols. He never took the Lord's name in vain. He also never violated the Sabbath. When he was holy, innocent, undefiled, and separate from sinners, when he committed no sin, when there was no sin on his tongue, it could be said that was true every single Sabbath day. He kept the Sabbath. Not even his enemies could bring a, a conviction, convict him of sin, except that they wanted to find it according to God's law that their law didn't jive with. Pilate couldn't find any sin in him. There's no guilt in this man. Jesus was a sinless Sabbatarian. This is the practice of Jesus. He faithfully observed the Sabbath. The scriptures tell us that he was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. He had some wearisome times in his life. So much so that he fell asleep in a boat in the midst of a horrific thunderstorm, an earthquake, seismic size thunderstorm in a boat, pelted with water, surrounded by frantic disciples, and yet he slept. I think he was tired. Jesus faced all the same obstacles we face. He was tired, he was hungry. He faced opposition in his life and in his vocation. He even had to face his enemies, his enemies, not just people he couldn't quite get along with, his enemies. He had to face them in the synagogues and on the Sabbath days. And yet, none of these things hindered him from his immediate customary behavior. And the scriptures tell us in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Okay, so I'm not going to lie, and I'm going to go about doing good, and I'm not going to... What about the Sabbath day? 
we too should eagerly, consistently, immediately strive to meet with God's people wherever we find ourselves. Because remember, he did this whether he was in Judea in the south or whether he was up in the north. Wherever he was, he found his way to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now I'm preaching to the choir because you're all sitting here. <laughs> well done. Today, those of you who are members here can say, yes, today I did what God wanted me to do. Maybe you didn't do it out of duty. Maybe you didn't do it because you felt a pressure to do it. And, I, and at some point, I hope to get a quote in here by B.B. Warfield, because B.B. Warfield says, what a glorious thing to fulfill my duty before the King of Kings. But he said it better and more extensively than that. So maybe that'll come in later. But the fact of the matter is, this is what we ought to regularly, constantly be doing. Though for most of us, the responsibility to teach and preach is not your calling. The fact of the matter is, whether it is or it isn't, we should be following in Jesus' steps where the holy convocation, that is where the people of God gather together on the day of God, we should be among them. We should imitate Jesus, even when we face temptation, even when we're tired, even when we're hungry, even when we're bothered by the things that are going on at home, bothered by the things that are going on at work, bothered by somebody I might think I might bump into, because we can talk about how you should deal with that at another time. But the fact of the matter is, you should be in the house of God. Imitate Jesus when you face the temptation and be with the people of God. Now, let's just say one more thing here. I will before I go on. Being strict about this practice is not necessarily legalistic. If it is, then Jesus was the greatest legalist on the earth because he was very, very strict with himself on that day. This is not legalism to say, I will be in the house of God. And to urge others who have committed to being in the house of God, to being in the house of God. Because the righteous man swears to his own hurt and does not change. And our swearing is not that we set an oath and put a seal to it and signed a contract. Our, our swearing is, did we say yes, then it's yes. If we said no, then it's no. Right? And so, may God help us to continue to be diligent in keeping the fourth commandment. But then we move on. Secondly, Jesus fearlessly cleansed the Sabbath. The Pharisees had built a fence around the law, a huge fence that they thought would try to keep people from breaking the law. And so they came with all kinds of other rules and rubrics as to how much you could carry on the Sabbath day and how far you could walk on the Sabbath day. And if you've ever been in some of the communities, we have some of those, uh, the Jewish communities around us, you know, there's some of those vestiges of these rules where there's strings hung around large areas. So that can be considered just one place. You can travel anywhere within that and not break the, break the commandment. There's different things that they do to try to avoid breaking these commandments. One man called the commandments or the rules set up by the Pharisees mountains held by threads. A thread of the word of God that they would hang a huge mountain of duty on. 
Well, Jesus frequently offended the Jews on the Sabbath. Now, that could be said a number of different ways, but I put it that way because he did. They were offended by him quite frequently on the Sabbath, sometimes by his teaching. You know, when he was there in Nazareth and he, and he opened up the scriptures and, and he read from that part of the prophecy and he said, all in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. When he said, these things are filled in, fulfilled in you today, filled in your midst. And when he said that God had a special place for a Gentile that the Jews didn't have, and, and, and it was just they went, they went nuts, and they wanted to throw him over the hill for what he had said. In John chapter 5, verse 18, For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, because he healed a man, a sick man, a sick man who had needed to walk, he healed him, got him up, and then said, go ahead, take your, take your bed and go home. And they wanted to kill Jesus for this. But also, it says, because he was calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So sometimes it was what he said, but oftentimes it was what he did on the Sabbath. And here's where we're going to start coming to our, our exception clauses. We'll look at this. But just to note the fact that there are numerous occasions where Jesus did something, healing in particular, that offended the Jews. By taking the basic necessities of life, taking grain in the field, they were offended by what the disciples did. When he healed somebody in the synagogue, a man with a withered hand, they were, they were offended by what he did. When he was teaching in the synagogues and a woman came in who for 18 years had had a sickness, Luke chapter 13, the syn and he healed her, the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath began saying to the multitude in response, there are six days in which you work, which work should be done. Therefore, come during them and get healed and not on the Sabbath day. So yes, he, they, he frequently offended them by doing good, by healing on the Sabbath. Now it's important before we move to point B, that's, I'm just stating the fact here, and then we'll, we're going to prove it under this next point, what actually he was doing when he was doing that, why he was doing that. Important clarification it comes from uh, Dalma in his comments on the Ten Commandments, and particularly the Fourth Commandment, and commenting on one of these passages, said, What Jesus was doing on the Sabbath was certainly in conflict with the Jewish interpretation of the law, but Jesus' actions were not in conflict with the law itself. On the contrary, what he did on the Sabbath and what he said about the Sabbath corresponded completely to that joy and restoration characterizing the Sabbath day prescribed in the Old Testament. Jesus was without sin. Even the Jewish leaders could not charge him with sin. And that included with what he did on the Sabbath day. All they could do was point out to their rules that he violated. So let's move then quickly here to point B. Jesus taught that compassion is consistent with keeping the Sabbath. Compassion is consistent with keeping the Sabbath. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We'll spend most of our time looking at these various incidents in this particular chapter.
I've just been selective because there are so many passages that could be chosen uh, to make some of these points. But we'll just go with, first of all, with Matthew chapter 12. Follow along as I read verses 1 through 8. And the same thing is found in Mark chapter 2 and in Luke chapter 6 with some variations. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So notice with me, first of all, it's found in Luke 6.1, it's found here as well, the offending activities. The offending activities. What was it? They were actually out, they were walking, they were away from home, and they grabbed some grain as they went through the grain field, and they took the heads of grain, whatever they were, whether it was corn, and they shucked them, or whether it was uh, wheat or barley, and they rubbed them together and and got rid of the chaff and, and had the kernels that were left. Pharisees saw this and they said, look at that, they're working, harvesting, threshing, and preparing food, all of which should not be done on the Sabbath. And if you were a farmer, you could have said, yes, that's true, I shouldn't be going out and planting and harvesting and doing that on, do my vocation on God's day. Was that what they were doing? They aren't stealing, so can't be that they're saying they're stealing because there was a provision in the law for gleaning for those who were needy and those who were poor. In Leviticus 23 and verse 22, for instance, it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, moreover, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleanings of your harvest. You are to leave them for the needy and the alien. I am Yahweh, your God. And so the fact of the matter is that it's not a matter of stealing. So they weren't saying they were stealing. What could they be saying then? Well, the only thing they could say is, well, they're Sabbath breaking. They're breaking the Sabbath according to the Jewish tradition, the Jewish laws. Well, what did Jesus see? Well, Matthew tells us that what really was is there were hungry people there, away from home, traveling And at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick heads of grain. So here they are. That's the offending activities, taking care of their hunger as they glean from the field. Then we note that Jesus gives some obvious biblical answers to their accusations. Some obvious biblical answers to their accusations accusations. And, uh, and I, say, I say they're obvious because he says in, in verse 3, have you not read what David did when he became hungry? He said, did, did, haven't you not read your Bibles recently? Um, or again in verse 5, um, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the, the priests do certain things? 
And in verse 7, he says again, but if you had known what this means, this is obvious. He said, these are things you as the Pharisees, as the Jews who know the Bible, who are law keepers, who are the keepers of the law, you should be the ones above all who know the answer to what you're accusing us of. Now, Jesus makes it clear that the Pharisees' view of the Sabbath is inconsistent with the Old Testament view of the Sabbath. And he does so by quoting the Old Testament. Notice Jesus doesn't say, the Sabbath is passing away, so you're making a big deal out of nothing. He says, if they had understood the Old Testament Sabbath, then they would not have condemned the disciples who were innocent. And so here's his first example, the clear example of David. The clear example of David. 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 to 6. If you want to turn there, you can read that together. 1 Samuel 21. Beginning at verse 1. Remember, Saul is trying to kill David, and David is escaping. David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest, 1 Samuel 21, verse 1. And Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone? And no one is with you. And David said to Ahimelech, the priest, The king has commanded me with a matter that has said to, and, has, and has said to me, Let no one know anything about the matter on which I am sending you, and with which I have commanded you, and I have directed the young man to a certain place. So now... What do you have on hand? Give five loaves of bread into my hand, or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no ordinary bread on hand, but there is consecrated bread, if only the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest and said to him, Surely women have been kept from us, as previously when I set out, and the vessels of the young men were holy, though it was an ordinary journey." How much, more than how much more than today will the vessels be holy? That is, because it's not an ordinary journey. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, and there was no bread there, but the bread of the presence, remember that's the 12 loaves, which was removed from before Yahweh in order to put hot bread in its place when it was taken away. So here's the circumstance. Now, let's not talk about whether David was right and the way he portrayed this whole thing to Ahimelech. That's not the point. The point of it is, that David comes to the priests and he asks the priests for bread. He says, we're hungry. We need some bread. I need a sword and I need some bread. And he gets the sword of, of uh, uh, Goliath. Sorry, the brain freeze there. Uh, and, and, and he gets this bread. So now clearly there are some parallels here that this passage is, is chosen for a purpose. Uh, there are parallels in the fact that this took place on the Sabbath day. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 8, we read that they took the 12 loaves and replaced them on the Sabbath day with hot loaves. And so the loaves they were eating were not the ones from the table, but the ones that had just been taken from the table and were there for the priests to eat. And it says they are a holy portion for the priests. And so the priests are the ones who are supposed to eat that bread. And so there's, there's this, the parallel between the fact that it's done on the Sabbath as well as when Jesus' uh, uh, disciples are, are eating. It's also the one who is to be the king. He doesn't have any authority, yet he is the king who is going to reign one day. He doesn't exercise authority over the priest and say, you must do this according to me being the king and you being the priest. He just comes as a hungry man who's going to be king one day. 
and he comes and asks for food. And so there's the other parallel. So is Jesus. He's not yet ascended to his messianic throne. He doesn't then exercise that authority over changing anything. He just is standing there saying, we're hungry. And that's the final parallel. Both have to do with relieving hunger in order to continue on what is described as the Lord's business. Now, for David's sake, we could say, is that the Lord's business? He's escaping for his life. But certainly for Jesus, it's a matter of continuing his business as, uh, the, as his servant. His people, or his, his disciples need to eat to keep going on this uh, Sabbath day. So the bottom line is, so what was broken? The ceremonial law was altered. None of the Ten Commandments was violated. There was no stealing. There was, there was no coveting. There was, you know, on, the, on behalf of Ahimelech, that is. It was a ceremonial law. It was just written for, for, the, for, the, for the time of, of handling of this bread and passing it around and being eaten by the priests. And so that's what was altered in order to give David bread. Dr. Piper says in his excellent book on the Lord's Day, From this first argument, Jesus teaches that on the Sabbath we may do those necessary things that strengthen us for the Lord's work. We can do the necessary things for life. I was driving here this morning, and I'm thankful that as a body, you all recognize that it's okay to do personal hygiene on Sunday. Some of you work rather hard on Saturdays, and I am glad that you have not said, I cannot do this work of washing myself today. Why? Because it's the normal, necessary protection of the body and the keeping of the body that we wash and cleanse ourselves. Same thing with eating. It's the necessary activity to keep going. Now, certainly there's nothing wrong with fasting at times, but there is nothing in the scriptures that requires a fast except for the possibility of the Day of Atonement, there's no requirement that we have to fast on any particular schedule. And so, preparing food and eating food is appropriate. It's a necessity. Dr. Piper goes on to say, we may not violate one of God's moral laws in order to keep another. What the priests prudently and compassionately extended to David's case was a general positive law. That is a law specifically written for that time, just associated with particularly temple and tabernacle worship. And so that was where the bread was, and that's the law that they altered in order to feed David and his men. They didn't take of God's portion of the sacrifice, which, remember, Eli's sons were doing and were condemned for, or allow David and his men to use the Ark of the Covenant as a table on which to eat, says Dr. Piper. None of that was done. It was taking bread, altering that commandment that was written for the priests, and giving it. What's our application point? Prudent compassion may result in activities being performed on the Sabbath to fulfill legitimate needs. Now, there's some really important words in there. 
Come back to prudent compassion. But prudent compassion may result in activities being performed on the Sabbath to fulfill legitimate needs. That's the focus here. Hunger is a legitimate need. Let's move on. Verses 5 and 6 now back to Matthew chapter 12. Verses 5 and 6. He then moves on having said, Did you not recognize uh, this about, did you not know this about David? Well, what about the priests? Matthew 12, verses 5 and 6. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? Now, no priest ever broke the law that was keeping his regular responsibilities before God. Eli's sons were an exception. They certainly were violating God's law on purpose in a very grievous way. But a priest who was going about the duties of offering the sacrifices and taking things from the people and, and offering them on, on the tabernacle, going around making sure all the, if, they, if it was their responsibility to light the lamps and make sure the lamp was burning or to put the incense on the altar, all of that was work. It was their vocation that they had to do all week long. And when they did it on the Sabbath, they weren't violating the Sabbath. So what does Jesus mean when he says, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? Anybody know how much a lamb weighs? Or a bull weighs? It's a little bit more than a stack of figs, which was what the law said they could have, a certain amount of figs. There was a great deal of work in slitting the throat and sprinkling the blood and throwing the thing up and then taking out the carcass and burning it outside. And there was a bit of work involved in all that. Cleansing the the tabernacle, sprinkling oil, going in and and keeping the lights burning, making sure the oil was was there in terms of the the lamp, the golden uh, menorah. So by Pharisaic standards, even the priests would be guilty of profaning the Sabbath. Just by performing their normal God-ordained duties. But instead of being completely inactive on the Sabbath... Their normal daily activity continued, and in fact, on the Sabbath, for the priests, in some measure, it was doubled. They actually did more work on the Sabbath than they did other times, where they had to give twice as many sacrifices in the morning and the evening offering, along with the other offerings. They had to measure out the oil, they had to measure out the grain, they had to Burn the offering. They had to take care of it. This is their responsibility. Pious devotion may require the performance of necessary activities to fulfill one's religious duties of worship. In order to perform the duties of worship, it may take some activities that would otherwise be the things we do during the week. Such as me getting up and sitting at my computer and typing this morning, printing this morning, running back and forth to the printer, rereading things, taking things back, doing it again. Deacons coming here, people coming here earlier in the morning, make sure the air conditions on, or or hopefully not today, or when it gets cold that the heat is on, making sure the lights are on, making sure everything works, 
They're working, doing the kinds of things that would be a, a janitor's job in terms of uh, maintenance or keeping the doors open and keeping, making things working. They're doing that. Why? So that we can worship. So that we can have a place to sit down and worship God and be able to see our hymnals because the lights are on. See our Bibles. This is a Bible, not a hymnal. Right? So this is the things that, that we're able to do. Pious devotion will require some of those activities. And if that was true in the worship of the temple, the place of God's promised special presence among his people, how much more in the very presence of one who is greater than the temple, as he says, one greater than the temple is here, in the presence of Emmanuel, God with us, the word become flesh. Again, listen to Dr. Piper. Therefore, those who labored with him in his Sabbath work were not violating the Sabbath when they broke a humanly invented law. To the contrary, they were doing the true work of the Sabbath as they labored with Jesus in service of preaching, evangelizing, and worshiping. They were the true Sabbath keepers, while the Pharisees who followed them, seeking to entrap the Savior, were the ones breaking the Sabbath. That brings me then to my third point the patent prophetic principle regarding the heart. The patent prophetic principle regarding the heart. Verse 7. If you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus here is quoting Hosea chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Where God says, I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. I delight in compassion, or I delight in chesed. Maybe rumach, I didn't look up the, the Hebrew there, but it, it's certainly a word which speaks of the heart of God to do good to others. He says, I desire loyalty, that kind of devotion, that kind of attachment, that kind of compassion rather than sacrifice. And in the knowledge of God, rather than in burnt offerings. In other words, I'm not just looking for external activity going on, I want the heart engaged. And while he spoke these words to uh, encourage or to explain what was taking place, he actually condemns the Pharisees at the same time. Because in verse 7, it goes on to say, But they, but like man, they have transgressed the covenant. There they have dealt treacherously against me. There's a sense in which here he's, he's actually highlighting what they're doing wrong. But when we read such statements, we must be careful not to misunderstand them. This does not say, do whatever you want as long as your heart is right. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, do what you should with a true heart. And have this heart that would then lead you to actually do what is the, the Sabbath was meant for. It was meant to be a blessing. It was meant for the benefit of mankind and to show compassion then to somebody who's in need is actually a, an expression of God's heart on the Sabbath and the purpose of the Sabbath rather than violating the Sabbath. So don't misunderstand it. You can go wherever your heart. We're not going Disney here. Don't follow your heart. But make your heart align with God's heart of compassion. So, Works of compassion, if you will, are allowed on the Lord's Day. Prudent compassion, I come back to the application I made earlier, prudent compassion may result 
in activities being performed on the Sabbath to fulfill legitimate needs. And if you say, well, come on, give me some perfect examples. Well, we'll come to those, Lord willing, this evening. Have more of those kinds of things. Then we come to point C in your outline there. Jesus taught that it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And here, getting a little more to the point, we go on in chapter 12 of Matthew. You can also see it in Mark 3 and in Luke 6. But Matthew chapter 12, verse 9, and departing from there, he went into their synagogue because remember, it was the Sabbath day. So where was he going? Oh, he's on the way to the synagogue. Maybe he was going from one to the other, but he's going to the synagogue. And departing from there, that is this field, he went into their synagogue, and behold, a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then they said to the man, stretch, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was restored to normal like the other. But going out, the Pharisees took counsel together against him, how they might destroy him. Each of the synoptic gospels includes this incident in the synagogue immediately after the grain field. And so this is obviously something that the gospel writers thought was important to highlight with regard to the life and ministry of Jesus. Now notice with we look at this, first of all, just notice it's, it's patent, so I don't need to spend a lot of time on this, but it's patent, isn't it? The hardness of heart of the Pharisees. The, their posture was one of watching, they're scheming, they're, they're intensely scrutinizing the Lord Jesus. Their question is, is not a legitimate question that they're trying to get some knowledge because they're, they're really wondering, sh- should we do something good? Is, is this okay? Like some of the questions that came out yesterday in the question and answer session, men wanting to know, you know, is this right? Is this okay? And, and discussions afterwards. It was, it's a legitimate trying to find those places that the law, where the law applies. Not looking for the exceptions to get out of the law, but trying to say, what should I do? Can I do this? Should I do this? And that they weren't asking it in that, in that vein. They were asking it that they might accuse him. They might catch him. But notice the assumption behind the question. They know he can heal. They know they, he can make this man better. They know he has power and they know he has a heart to do good. And they see this as an opportunity to catch him. Their concern is not with the welfare of the man with the withered hand, but to catch Jesus in something that they can say is a a crime. Now, we could multiply instances in the the New Testament, in the Gospels, uh, about these kinds of things, you know, where... um, Healing Peter's mother-in-law, healing uh, or setting free the woman bound for 18 years, uh, healing the man with dropsy in the Pharisee's own house, healing the man beside the pool of Bethesda, healing the man who was born blind, all of which, uh, again, happen on Sabbath days and, and which are turned into ways that the Pharisees and the Jews would attack Jesus. Knowing what they know, what they knew about Jesus... They would not humble themselves and follow him. 
Here is one of compassion. Here is one of truth. Here is one of power. You met somebody like that and he was a rabbi. That's the kind of person I want to follow. One who spoke with authority and not like the other rabbis. This is one they ought to have followed. She said, we should bow down before this one and learn from this one. Who is this that even those with withered hands are his concern and that has the power to heal as he does? Well, Jesus knows their hearts and he exposes the Pharisees' hard hearts. He says to them, you're compassionate for your animals. Your donkey goes down, your sheep goes down, your cow goes down. What's it? You're, you show compassion to them, verse 11. You're, you'll take care of your animals on the Sabbath. And there were laws, actually, that which, which may be kind of in the background here that doesn't mention in the scriptures, but some of the, the writers highlight some of the Jewish laws. If a wall fell on a man, if he was still alive, you could wait till the next day. If he's dead, you don't want to touch him because you'll come unclean. If he's a Gentile, you'll never touch him. But a, G a sheep? A goat? A, a cow? Oh, we got to get them out of the ditch. They might drown. They might break a leg. They might, you know, they might be stolen. So you'll do this for your animals. And if, you can, if I can put it this way, pun intended, he catches them on the horns of a dilemma. What's worth more? Your animal or man? Want to weigh this out for me? And then he articulates the truth and exposes their error. He flat out says, it is good. It is lawful, excuse me, to do good on the Sabbath. It is lawful. It doesn't violate the Sabbath to make the day that was given as a blessing to be a benefit to man than should be used at times to do good to men. As it is necessary and prudent to express that compassion on the Sabbath day. And so then he presses them with a the question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill? This, this man's hand is dead. Should I just leave him to hurt himself? Or should I help him? Such a contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees. Pharisees are scheming. Jesus is in charge. They think they're in charge. He takes charge, brings the man forward, takes stock of the Pharisees. He knew what they were thinking. He looks around them with anger, Mark says in Mark chapter 3, verse 5. He's grieved at their hardness. And Jesus takes care of the problem. He exercises his powerful mercy. Stretch forth your hand. And he heals him. And even seeing that compassion and power displayed, they only harden their hearts more. Let's go out and destroy him. How sad. Brethren, the, the, some of the lessons that we can learn from this is the Sabbath is not a day of inactivity. It's not meant to be a day where we just, as they say, go horizontal all day. Or we just kind of lie down and and let the day pass. There are all kinds of work that need to be done. There's a holy convocation that takes place in various places where churches gather together, where God's people come together to worship and express their, 
their, their piety, that is, their, their devotion to God. And we are the priesthood of believers, come offering up our spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that shouldn't be done without energy. That takes work. Sometimes I'm as tired when I'm sitting there as I, when I'm standing up here. Not always. Because <laughs> I'm doing twice things I'm doing up here. I'm trying to be a worshiper and a teacher. But when I'm sitting there, and I'm, if you're giving yourself to this, then you're saying, I'm going to use all my mental capacities to enter into that prayer that's being offered. That's me at the, before the throne of grace, and my, my spokesman is leading me there. And I need to be engaged as, as this prayer is being offered. And as these hymns are being sung, I need to join my voice with the brethren and, and raise up my voice in praise of, of this God. And sometimes that takes work, because i got to think about the words that I'm reading. I grant you some of these words are, are old words. They are. But they're beautiful words. They are poetic words. They are, they are incredible words with incredible truth. Take hymn number 80 sometime and go back to your Bible and, and at home and say, okay, here's a good Sunday afternoon. Here's a good activity. Take your hymn book out and say, can I find biblical references for the things that I'm singing in this hymn? I chose 80 because it's got all kinds of them. It's just soaked with biblical references. Or take, come thou almighty king. Can I find something here that this is fits in? Where do I find this? So you take them and you go and you, and, and you try to, to find it. We're in the marketplace of the soul and we have to work at doing business with God. We have to work to listen to preachers sometimes. Now there's many warnings that grow out of this passage as well. Both, both there's encouragements and there's warnings. But the warnings are beware of rigid Pharisaic application of the Lord's day. Oh, those terrible Pharisees. I would never be like that. But my house, no, right, the sergeant spoke. That's not compassion. Beware of hypocritical and formalistic keeping of the Lord's Day, where we come here and we just go through the motions like the Pharisees did and try to make themselves out to be true worshipers of God when, in fact of the matter, they missed the Lord Jesus Christ entirely. Beware of ignoring or minimizing the Lord's Day. Well, let's just, you know, not argue over it anymore. Let's just make it as simple as possible and do as little as possible. And beware of a lack of compassion or a lack of prudence. And that brings me to my final application. I think it's there in your notes. C, the Sabbath and acts of mercy and compassion are compatible. There are certain works that are acceptable on the Sabbath. And it's those as we've said, deeds of necessity, the things that you have to do to live, the things that need to be done to survive, the things that need to be done because God in his providence has, has pressed us with something. Eating food, preparing food, cleaning up after you eat, and unless it was a paper plates kind of meal, they just toss them out. Oh, well, that's lifting plates. You know, it's, let's, it's not about rigid rules. It's about doing what is necessary. And, and deeds of piety, performing religious duties, I've already talked about those, those activities necessary to support and enable the worship of God. Getting in your car and driving here uh, was a work. It was wet, wet. it was slippery, it was, it was harder than normal. Does, so the question comes down, 
Dr. Piper has simplified it with a very simple question. Does it promote the purposes of the day? Is it going to promote me worshiping God or others worshiping God? Then maybe that fits in the category of necessity. But that's something which must be met in order to do this. Does it promote the purposes of the day? But this requires some specific characteristics. One of them is we need to grow in compassion. We need to grow in compassion. The Sabbath was made for man. It was made to be a benefit to man, not a burden. And we need to grow in our compassion for those around us that we would seek to do good as we have opportunity to do good. But we also need to grow in prudence because we can really get soft and compassion becomes sentimentality or lacks principle to guide it. And so we need prudence. Is this necessary? Dr. Piper says something that we talked about in the question and answer yesterday. He says this, it is not carelessness which makes something a necessity, but it's usefulness in enabling you to perform the purposes of Sabbath. It's doing that which is necessary, that, makes it, that is useful in helping us fulfill or perform the purposes of the Sabbath. And so we talked about one of the things that's happened to me on, sadly, more than one occasion is I go to get in the car on the Lord's Day morning, and lo and behold, there's no gas in the car. Now I could just say, Lord, I'm going to pray that you give me fumes to get me there and fumes to get me home until Monday morning I can push it to the gas station. I could exercise faith that way. I believe that would be probably tempting God unless I was out somewhere where there was no gas station. But the fact of the matter is, I would confess my sin for not taking time the day before to think through what I needed to do in order to get to church. And, my, and I'd go to the gas station and I'd buy the gas and I'd ask God to forgive me for doing something that my conscience says I should not be doing on the Lord's Day. But it was a necessity made by my carelessness, which is just one thing after the other. That It's kind of like when they carried the ark and Uzzah reached out the, the hand and touched it and he died. They were in a bad state by the time he even touches the ark. What's it doing in the cart? The problem was way back there. This isn't the only point of sin here. There were some thoughts that went back here that were wrong. And the same with us. We need to prepare. More of that this evening. We are not keeping the Sabbath properly if our only concern is for ourselves. We need to have compassion. We should be desirous that others also enjoy the blessing of the Sabbath. And that sometimes means that I have to sacrifice a little bit of my comfort and my blessing in order to help others. It doesn't mean I sin in order to help others. We never sin to avoid sin. It's not how we deal with sin. Even in the fourth commandment, we are to be concerned that, that others rest. Exercise our authority, as I said a little bit ago, in seeing that those in our household rest on the Lord's day. And that should be done compassionately. Rest! No. And in the context of Isaiah 58, it is articulated that true worship is marked by doing good. Showing mercy is compatible with and fits with the Sabbath, which was made for man to do good. 
Didn't James say that? Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained from the world. And finally, in, in these last few points, I'll just read them quickly here. In the biblical examples, showing mercy or performing a necessity does not replace corporate worship or attending it or supports it. They are found together. That is, he was in the synagogue and he did these kind things. He didn't exchange one for the other. Jesus taught both by precept and by example that it is proper to do those things on the Sabbath which refresh, heal, and restore breath and strength to the body. Thus, not only works of worship and piety, but also works of necessity and mercy are appropriate Sabbath activities, Bruce Ray in his good book on the Sabbath. It was intended by God to be the best day of the week, the day that people would look and long for and be glad to enjoy. Again, Bruce Ray. My final quote is for Robert Murray McShane. And this quote's for those who don't like the Sabbath. For those who think, what a burdensome. When will it be over so that I can? You put whatever it is. Play my games, do my work, get back to my studies, have my fun. Robert Murray McShane notes, there are no Sabbaths in hell. There is no rest, no Sabbath for the wicked. God has given you a blessed day that you might know him. Part of the purpose of this day but when hell comes, or when you come to hell, there will be no more. Repent and flee to Christ today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for your word, and we ask that you would write it upon our hearts. Work in us this prudent compassion that we might be more like the Lord Jesus Christ for the glory of your name, especially today on your day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.